Wired into technology transformation, this is the Digital Bulletin Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the Digital Bulletin Podcast, a new year and a new format to freshen things up for you, listener. Each month from here on in, three industry insiders will be taking the floor and debating important issues and topics from the world of technology. For this edition, the panel discusses the continued growth of cloud-native development. Erica Lange, Andrew Davidson and Detalina Vasileva, you'll hear more about them in a minute, will reflect on the effects of COVID-19 on this trend, why it isn't necessarily straightforward to move to this development model, and they share their thoughts on the culture and skills needed to become truly cloud-native. The discussion is chaired expertly by Digital Bulletin Content Director James Henderson. Hi everybody, welcome to the Digital Bulletin podcast with your host James Henderson, the editor of Digital Bulletin and we're looking forward to our first podcast of 2022 where we have three experts who I'm really looking forward to speaking with today. I'm going to let the the, the guests introduce themselves. Um, maybe um, Andrew, if you could introduce yourself first, um, that would be great. Sure, thanks. Good to be here, James. I'm Andrew Davidson, uh, VP Cloud Products here at MongoDB. And I've really been front and center on our global database service, MongoDB Atlas, which has over 100,000 signups every month today. And it's really the leading independent database service in the world. Uh, and really excited to kind of talk about some of the trends we're seeing in the market and, and hear uh, Erica and Lena's perspectives as well and how they contrast. No, absolutely. I am too. And Elena, if you if you could do the same and introduce yourself and uh, tell us a bit of your background and what um, the, the company you're at, that would be fantastic. Sure. So my name is Zetelina Vosilova, or Lina for short. I'm the head of the cloud operations department at HeliCloud. Uh, HeliCloud is a premier consulting partner for AWS. And since recently, I managed services uh, partner as well my greatest achievement from last year. Um, and uh, we as a company help customers um, use AWS in the best possible way. So anything from uh, creating the infrastructure, optimizing it, plus cloud native software development and taking care of it and continuously uh, optimizing it further on. Fantastic. And last, but you know, very much not least, uh, Erica, could you, could you uh, introduce yourself, please? Yeah, sure. Uh, Erica Lange. I'm a solution architect at uh, Red Hat. Uh, Red Hat, like a leading open source uh, vendor, we help uh, customers uh, using open source to transform their ways of working. And I have a background in development and also uh, embracing cloud native technologies. So very happy to be here and to chat with Andrew and Lena. Fantastic. Now, the topic that we're going to be speaking with today on the podcast is about cloud native development um, heading into into the new year. And while we would all like to, I guess, look forward and, and think about a world post pandemic, um, it's it's sort of impossible to talk about this this topic, you know, without um, without discussing that. So uh, that's where we'll start. Um, I don't know who wants to, maybe who wants to take this on first. Maybe um, maybe Erica, as, as I introduced you last, only fair to bring you bring you in first, maybe. Um, Maybe let, let's start about you know, how the pandemic is, has really accelerated cloud native development. Um, to what extent is, is that the case? And 
Uh, are we still seeing that really rapid trend now, or is is that maybe tapering off a bit? How do you see that? Yeah, so certainly uh, the pandemic has has created kind of a shift in, in how we're living and working. And uh, we have seen uh, a surge in remote workers and developers and definitely a need to have applications and, and data uh, remote and, and distributed. So the pandemic has, has created a shift in also cloud native approach because let's traditionally say cloud native has been adopted as a way to uh, bring applications uh, um, to the market in, in, a, in the fastest possible way. But with the pandemic, there's been a shift because uh, uh, organizations have adopted cloud native to say, provide business continuity, to manage a remote uh, workforce as well, and to create that business agility that is really related also to the cloud native principles. So, so in a sense, I, say, I, I think that the pandemic has uh, added also more value to a cloud native approach uh, in terms of like addressing uh, change and uncertainty. So in a way, I believe that it's here to stay because in any situation where organizations uh, are willing to address that agility, but also to address the, the, the uncertainty and the change, cloud native is the approach to follow. Uh, absolutely, and, and maybe then, Lena, maybe bring us your point of view on on, on that on that uh, question as well, please. Um, initially, when the pandemic started, um, we saw a decrease in in projects uh, because at the very beginning in 2020, uh, people weren't sure what was happening, and uh, they were sort of postponing. Um, uh, any big projects about migrations or transformations on top of the cloud. And at the same time, uh, we saw an increase in managed services. And then gradually it was again, everyone onto the cloud because that's going to solve all of our problems. But uh, the challenge that we're seeing is that everyone hopes to be able to land on the cloud with as little um, initial investment as possible. And in the end, you you either go all in or you don't take uh, the full benefit of, of being on the cloud. Because if you don't transform uh, your application stack, um, it's uh, it ends up being more expensive, less secure, more risky. And uh, in the end, people are like, this is so much more complicated than it used to be on the data center. Why did we do this again? <laughs> No, that, that's that's an excellent point you make. It's, it's certainly not painless, and I think more and more companies, as they're going through these these cloud journeys, will find that. Andrew, what what's your viewpoint on on how it's accelerated cloud native native development? Would you say? I mean, to to Lena's point, I, I think it's interesting that even really before the pandemic hit, there had already been kind of this awakening that the lift and shift model of adopting cloud was was not the model. I think. Five years ago, that was maybe still the model. Lena, you may, maybe you're seeing, uh, you know, folks who are still kind of on their on their back foot in terms of cloud adoption. But and maybe I've seen more of the bleeding edge. I'm not sure, but I felt like there was a shift over the last five years away from lift and shift and people wanting to adopt, you know, really the right abstractions to enable smaller teams to move with self service agility. And that there was generally that that awakening in the industry. And I felt like you could feel that, for example and kind of the sentiment shift at reInvent over the years. But the pandemic absolutely just hit that like a lightning bolt. All of a sudden, it was just absolutely vital that someone working from a cafe or working from their home or working from a park even 
could collaborate in a virtual sense with other developers. And that idea of the two pizza team became sort of the model everyone wanted. And they wanted that team to be able to be fully controlling its own destiny and delivering business value quickly. And so it all sort of shifted on, do you have technical abstractions that give your developers the ability to do that safely? And that we were kind of very lucky, I think, from a time perspective that when we had built Atlas, the whole philosophy was self-service with no way to disable good security defaults. And so it kind of enabled these teams to move quickly without ever shooting themselves in the foot, always requiring encryption everywhere, et cetera, over the wire, all the stuff that in the self-managed traditional software sense, people would cut the corner on. And so that having that kind of pivot point, we heard it from many of our customers that when they had that massive shift, having their database infrastructure, which is the highest gravity, the center of the security concern, having that be the piece that didn't need to transform and change and have allowing them to around that transform how they collaborated and moving away from the sort of VPN oriented, we're inside the secure wall model to a more Google style beyond corp trustless security model and having the database already be ready for that posture. Uh, you know, it just really was, was interesting to watch. Absolutely right. And Andrew, I'm just going to stay with you just for, for, for a second. We obviously we're, we're two years into, into this now um, and we've seen, you know, billions, if not trillions invested into these, into these sort of cloud journeys and, and transformations. What, what then do we expect to see in 2022 is, you know, is that massive boom, you know, that, 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 acceleration is that likely to tail off what, what do you expect to see in terms of trends this year i mean i think honestly it's just going to continue it's going to continue focusing on giving developers the ability to move fast and think at the level of abstraction that allows them to express business value directly without having to really muck around at the infrastructure level as much you know i think we have uh we have you know seen the rise of tools like Terraform that allow you to declaratively manage your infrastructure and kind of have often viewed that as more of a DevOps phenomenon. But really, if you think about it, that's critical to empower those developers to no longer need to be thinking at the level of systems and to really move up. So I think you're, you'll see, just continue to see the rush and the rise of serverless. We've certainly made major investments in creating a serverless form factor for our database service, getting away from having to even really think about pre-provisioning and planning and sizing. Now, realistically, a lot of that remains kind of for net new microservices kind of at the cutting edge, but you're just going to see that continue to accelerate so that, you know, I use the analogy that 10 years from now, I would expect that just as you turn on the air conditioner or your light bulb, you don't think about how many, you know, kilowatt hours are being consumed. That's the way it's going to go for all of the layers of the development stack over time. Fantastic. Now, you know, I'd like to throw, throw the same question to you. Um, what, what, how do you feel that, that what level of growth do, do you expect to see in 2022 and then actually beyond that as well? Um, I hope that in 2022, we divorce from all of the old operational models and really embrace uh, um, the whole philosophy of, of DevOps. Like, for example, if you uh, one of the problems with cloud adoption is that, uh, and we've touched upon this earlier with, with Erica and Andrew both, that uh, you have to change your way of thinking. It's not just about the technology, it's not just about the serverless, but you, you take people who have worked in one way and now they have to work in a completely different way and think in a different way. And for example, if you followed something like um, the ITO model, 
which is the exact opposite to to DevOps, the um, the, the library of this is the change management process. This is uh, these are your levels of engineers, and you escalate from level one to level two to level three. People are doing swarming now, apparently, um, and they're like, there's no escalation. Everyone gets into a swarm and they work together. So, uh, what I hope to see in 2022 is more focus on the way we we think about uh, technology and the way we use technology so that we can really implement it in a way that works. And Erica, your thoughts on, on, on this year and beyond, if you would, what sort of levels of growth do you think we're going to see? And are there any other trends that, you know, maybe the listeners should be looking out for? Yeah, I, I totally agree with Lena and Andrew about the fact that cloud native is here to stay and also like a cultural change is actually here to happen. Uh, something I, I think it probably is going to happen in 2022 is also expanding to new territories like edge computing. Uh, so we'll see those technologies also, um, you know, um, in, in the closer to the edge, say. And, and in that respect, I think we will see a need for standardization of both hardware and software. And many organizations are already doing that. So definitely um, it's uh, it's the cloud native is approach and adoption is going to increase and uh, also uh, i read recently some uh, figures about the fact that technologies like kubernetes just for one year to the next have increased in terms of adoption of numbers like 67 percent which is really a massive uh, adoption so it, it's uh, it's interesting what lina was saying because we we really hope that um you know the, the all these new workloads uh, uh, they're going to happen actually with a cloud the first principle and i think this is actually here to stay absolutely Find us as Digital Bulletin on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram and at Digi underscore Bulletin on Twitter. Lena, I wanted to, to come back to you on, on the next question. We've, we've already, you know, we've established, we've seen, we, we know it's the case that um, these changes are happening at breakneck speed, almost in, in real time, the amount of investment that's going into these changes. You know, with, with you know, the, the pace of that change, what, what would you say are the main challenges that teams are facing when they're moving to this new development model? I guess the the very first problem that we're seeing, and it, it could be with uh, the type of customer, because uh, larger enterprises, they have more budget up front to invest in transformation, and smaller companies are finding it difficult to understand what the value of this transformation actually is. So yeah. they are coming with uh, some application. It may be a monolith. Uh, it may not understand DNS yet, um, which obviously would be a problem for the cloud. It, it may be a case of convincing them why immutable is better than mutable infrastructure. Um, so I, I think um, a problem I'm seeing very often, a, a challenge uh, for uh, many organizations is, is making the business case and finding the budget for the transformation that they, they sort of see is necessary, but uh, it's very difficult to prove it upstairs. And then this is not something you do just once, uh, because uh, whenever you, as you start doing things like infrastructure as code and managing everything in an automated fashion and using everything cloud native, the cloud the cloud is changing all the time. So the latest and greatest that you deployed last year is not the latest and greatest six months later, and you have to constantly plan for this. 
um, updates, incremental updates and transformations that you need to do and make the business case for it. Is there then, um, maybe without outside technology experts, this sort of misconception that this is something that you can almost do once and not have to worry about, you know, a general sort of upkeep and, and, and reinvestment and reskilling? Is that something that we're seeing and is that a big issue? Um, I, I think it's it's difficult for people to understand. Like, it's like doing a home renovation. We're used to like we're painting the walls, we're redoing the bathroom, and we don't worry about the bathroom for ten years, and we don't worry about paint for what two years if you have toddlers tops. Uh, and, and then people sort of expect to have that kind of predictability with renovations of their applications or infrastructure as well. And it's very difficult to have that because what we're noticing is that no standard can survive for more than six months. You have to refactor code, you have to re-architect uh, to improve cost, security, reliability, performance, and all of those things. That's, that's a really good point there. And, and Erica, I just want to jump to you. As a sort of senior solutions architect, someone who's right in the middle in the middle of that, um, what challenges are, you, are your guys facing? Would you say what are, what are some of the, the the things that you're hearing time and time again? Yeah, so, so I think what, one of the main challenge is is the, the fact that uh, organisations they think about uh, uh, they they still linked to the traditional way of building applications. So I'm, I'm totally agree with Lena that cloud native uh, adoption is like a journey rather than a destination. So you really need to rethink uh, the way, uh, the traditional way that you had to build applications. So uh, for instance, uh, when we think about cloud native, we think about like maybe microservices. So one of the challenges is, is like thinking about the granularity of those microservices. So typically, you associate one microservice to a functionality, but then you quickly end up with a, a high number of services that then you need to monitor and manage. So there are capabilities that you need to put into the picture that you haven't maybe thought about with your traditional way of, of building applications. Um, another challenge that we are seeing uh, is also uh, the, the maybe a lock-in factor. So if you really want to take advantage of uh, the cloud native principles and the ability to use also a hybrid model, you need to follow those standards and understand how they're also evolving over time, as Lena was saying. So trying really to keep up to date with all the changes and try to adapt your applications. So, I mean, those are just a couple of examples of the challenges that you, you have in cloud native development. But I, I still believe that once you understand those challenges and you embrace and solve those challenges, you have a lot of benefits from the approach. So it's still worth trying to address those challenges from the start. Uh, I, I can see you nodding your hair there, Andrew. Is that something you maybe, you know, take it, take it from there, you know, yeah, no, give I, us your I, thoughts I on that. I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head, Erica and Lena. Both. I mean, we both we we all know that these teams are going to have to continue to build these microservice use cases out to achieve the needs of the business. And when they do so, they're going to sort of be confronted with a, a set of challenges. They they could essentially force themselves to rush something out and effectively take on kind of technical or organizational debt in the process of doing so, and. So the question is, are there ways of adopting this new posture that alleviate some of that risk, some of that concern? And we actually have a pretty strong point of view on this. I mean, we, we've sort of seen this play out in particular at the state level, at the data level, where a lot of folks were using these legacy relational databases. 
and they just felt like they had scalability or continuous uptime or rich query requirements that just required them to break free of those traditional systems of record. And so we saw this, you know, 10 years ago play out with the adoption of new sort of niche services, key value store for scalability, a time series store over here, a graph store over there, et cetera. And we kind of looked at this space and thought, you know, the document model, it feels uniquely like a superset of these models. What if we could actually make the argument and invest in 10 years later, make this so robust for a wide variety of those use cases that a single data store could actually service most of those workloads with a single interface. And so what we've sort of seen is instead of needing to basically bolt on a whole new uh, database engine for every microservice that specializes for a particular use case, instead, why not be able to have the same you know, abstraction, the same developer experience, the same management experience, the same visibility for a DevOps team, the same way of thinking about it, uh, and have us do the kind of work of moving that data around for you rather than you needing to invest in all this brittle ETL to move everything between, you know, a database and a search engine, for example, the most sort of obvious example. Every database needs a com companion search engine. Why should those be two different systems? So, you know, with MongoDB Atlas, we embed Lucene powered search right there into the query mainline. And so the reason I think that's relevant to this discussion is what this is about is the rise of basically best in breed offerings that offer that abstraction that can be you know, assembled together to reduce the amount of moving parts, to reduce the amount of vendors in the mix. And frankly, to reduce the lock-in to uh, the, the cloud provider model, which would basically be to say, you know, use these 15 different boxes or 200 AWS services, instead of needing all of those services, why not take a couple of really good services you know, like OpenShift for Kubernetes and MongoDB Atlas for the data tier and really have the most important capabilities that you need for, for a modern enterprise. And I think it's much easier to imagine managing that. It's much easier to standardize and train on something like that. So that gets me really excited. I want to, I want to come on to skills here and, and all three of you are, are in positions where, you know, you, you will see that it's well known, you know, within within technology, the technology space that the, this fight for the, the best skilled people and um, the best talent out there is it's fierce and you know in, in some areas people are able to sort of write their own checks and and you know and, and good for them but we is, is there an issue here that for, for organizations to take on this approach really quickly and effectively uh, are the skills there and I'll stay with you for, for the minute Angie are, are they there and if not what what can be done to to make sure that those skills can be brought in as quickly and efficiently as possible? I think it's a great question. The beautiful thing is that these skills are totally learnable, right? I mean, I've seen this because you know at, at a data tier, you sort of you, you talk to a uh, you know an interesting uh, group of folks, and we've seen the shift where traditionally in the older model we might have been plugged into maybe database administrators, let's say. You know, seven years ago, maybe that was the main constituent, an operator of database or database administrator. What I've seen is that persona over the last seven years has actually shifted and become cloud architects, or many of them have. I mean, the ones who kind of realize, you know, it's important not to be laggards. We can really be involved in tr truly transformational amount of value for our enterprises. A lot of them have retooled. They're spending time with the cloud providers. They're spending time with you know, consulting firms like 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 Lena's and really becoming those experts and paving the way for those app devs uh, to, to to adopt in a new posture. And the companies where where they don't have operators who are thinking in that modern way, truth of the matter is those app devs are doing it on their own anyway. 
So you're sort of seeing this trend in both in both areas. The aptives, this whole this whole phenomenon is the only way they're going to live and breathe. This is all natural to them. So the operators kind of are com companions to that who can easily keep up. And there's so many resources now to get that education. And, and same question to you, Lena, Lena, as well. I'm really interested to get your thoughts on this topic. Oh, it's very difficult <laughs> with the skills. That's why I asked. Yeah. That's what, you know, that's yeah. what <laughs> We, when we were doing the the MSP audit with uh, with AWS uh, in November, um, they said one of our strongest uh, uh, points was that we're uh, doing academies for cloud skills. They said there's a huge shortage of, of cloud skills on the market, and if everyone is just headhunting, then we're exacerbating the problem. We're not solving it. Uh, but the, the the issue we're seeing is that, for example, we we have. Um, customers who really like the idea of uh, transitioning to containers, for uh, for example, and they use an application vendor to do all their software development, and then this application vendor is like, well, sorry, we don't have the skills for that, um, and the project is then put on hold for six months until they find someone. And um, our uh, our whole model is based on um, growing uh, like an, an ecosystem of cloud knowledge where we cover both the, um, the infrastructure and the, the software on top of that so that we can have all the skills on, on the menu uh, to be able to assist customers with this transformation. Fantastic. And, and Erica, maybe I could get your, your perspective on this as well. You know, uh, uh, you guys at Red Hat, are there the, are there the skills that, that, that you need, do you think? Are there the skills in the wider industry as well? Uh, how do you see this? How do you see this debate? Yeah, I, I agree with Andrew saying that in technology, in a sense, you become like a, a lifelong learner because skills you always need to keep up with like new technologies and new skills. So uh, there's definitely a lack of cloud native skills on the market, but also um, uh, techies are interested in like uh, build, uh, learning new things. Uh, something I would add also in addition to the technical skills is also uh, maybe uh, the, the DevOps skills that are needed to um, embrace a cloud native approach. So uh, in parallel to uh, those more technical skills, I would say that an organization should look also at DevOps skill as a way to transform the way of working and uh, try to uh, implement that collaboration that was mentioned already on, on this chat. So that's also something to keep in mind to adopt actually the, the, this new the approach. Mm -hmm. Okay, now I'll, I'll stay with you for, for the minute, Eric, but just want to come on to uh, this next question. And I've, I've heard it said from, from many people I've spoken to that it is now essential for businesses to move to, to cloud native um, application development. Um, I guess the first, the first question is, is that, is that something you, you broadly agree with? I, I would certainly agree that uh, with, with a cloud native approach, uh, businesses are more in a position to be agile, to build applications that are better at responding at change and uncertainty, uh, and also be more competitive on the market. So um, it, it's also it's definitely something to keep in mind for organizations. But as always in technologies, technology, there isn't one size that fits it all. So uh, in a sense, as cloud native is also quite complex as an approach. If you in your organization have, a, for instance, um, an application, a legacy application that doesn't fit actually with the level of agility that is implemented with the, with the cloud native approach, probably doesn't make sense to transform it because you will spend a lot of time 
trying to uh, uh, build, uh, transform the monolith into a microservices architecture, and then you will not gain uh, the benefits. So it's definitely crucial, cloud native, but as always, like you need to identify if you are with the right use case for adoption. And do you think that maybe that might be one of the mistakes people people are making, actually, or companies are making, is that they're trying to move whole scale their infrastructure into into cloud native? Um, and and do you think do you think that's something that that might be happening? It, it could be. I mean, because you know there is the buzzword cloud native, so everyone wants to jump on the uh, on yeah. this new buzzword. But you know, I mean. <laughs> Uh, there are definitely benefits, and I'm here to encourage the adoption, but uh, just be critical also on, on the use case. Lena, is, is, what do you sit on this? Is, you know, is it essential? We, 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 I've heard that word used so many times, absolutely essential. I mean, is it the case that, that, that organisations that don't do this are going to be left behind and ultimately fall by the wayside, or is that hyperbole, would you say? I think essential is a very dangerous word here because what's going to happen if you call if you call cloud native essential is that everyone's going to try it and implement it uh, the best way they can, and all of all of these terms, agile and DevOps and cloud native. If you ask six people in a room what they mean, you receive seven different different uh, <laughs> definitions. So first, we need to really understand what this is about, and then uh, figure out uh, how it can fit our operating model because uh, I'm, and I'm going to go back to ITIL as a framework uh, when that came out everyone was like this is what everyone needs to do this is this is the way forward and uh, everyone who implemented it 100% was like this totally doesn't work uh, because with every framework that you implement, you have to uh, adapt it to your organizational culture, to your way of work, to your actual technical needs. And it's the same with cloud native. There are some things that are going to move you forward and there are some things that are just going to be extras. So I wouldn't call it essential. I, I think that for, for most companies, it's, it's going to be uh, looking at a list of things that they can improve and selecting what works for what time of their development. Yeah, I, I mean that, that sounds sensible. Andrew, where, where do you sit? Is, is it is it as as Lena and Erica said? There's no one size fits all. There's no you know silver bullet, if you like. I, I mean, um, I definitely you know, agree. Bit, I yeah. agree. There's no silver bullet, but I do think basically, if you take a step back, what we're seeing is the overall economy is shifting so that every company is increasingly a software company. So there are there are you can find nooks and crannies in the economy where companies are not being challenged as much to need to become software companies. So in those companies, they can get away with sort of not adopting some of this cultural shift as aggressively perhaps. But for the most part, we're seeing a very clear trend where, you know, legacy enterprises are being disrupted by new entrants who adopt software as the key differentiator and enterprises that are able to leverage software to truly stay ahead of the curve are really being rewarded and are, you know, clearly able to, to compete. So ultimately everyone's in a war for talent and folks are going to go to the companies that allow them to feel like they can be productive. I think of software developers as, as sort of the artisans of our time. They want to go add value, not be stuck mucking around. And so if they can go and add, you know, clear business value, that's going to be extremely important for them. And that's important for the C levels of those companies because, you know, retaining and hiring technical talent is the most important thing at the C level of so many of these companies. So, it, you know, whether that means, it's definitely not one size fits all. And I, I completely agree that the term cloud native is, is loaded. I might even frankly 
make a slightly more incendiary comment and say it's almost Orwellian to me that cloud native has sort of somehow been, you know, claimed, you know, claimed by the Kubernetes community. That never made much sense to me. To me, it needs to be a bigger tent and refer to the, I think what we're talking about today, which is all of the new trends and technologies and techniques uh, that make sense. When we're talking about cloud native that way, then it's a big, you know, it's a big set of different muscles to be built. And absolutely companies that, that need to operate as software companies need to adopt these tools uh, and everyone else, you know, more power to them if they don't need to adopt software. It's surprising though. <laughs> no, well said. Um... We've, you know, I've taken, a, you know, some, a lot of your time this afternoon from all you guys you join us from all over the world. So we really do appreciate that. But uh, before I let you go, I just I wondered, and, and Erica, I'll, I'll I'll start with you. If you had any sort of closing thoughts on the, on this topic, um, you know, maybe, you know, any, I know we've spoken about thoughts of the year, but just any general final thoughts you have um, on the on the debate that we've been having today. Yeah, I think maybe one final thought would be to, again, you know, uh, think about the way you want to transform your organization and, and see if you can leverage cloud native to implement that transformation for all the use cases that are suitable. So definitely be open to learn new skills and uh, be open to the new technologies that are going to appear on the market. But the, the focus would should really be, you know, the way you want to transform your organization to uh, be more competitive. Fantastic. and. And Andrew, I'll, uh, I'll come to you next. Is there any sort of final thought to, you know, don't want to, for people of a certain age to go all sort of Jerry Springer or anything like that, but are there any sort of final thoughts for you today? Look, I mean, I, I think it's important to be able to empower builders. That's really what this is about. Empowering builders in a way that is sustainable, scalable, secure, that you can feel confident is actually better and safer than the old way. So you're moving faster and more safe. That's what this trend is about and adopting best in breed technologies like a multi-cloud database service in MongoDB Atlas and so many other solutions that exist out there that are so symbiotic, uh, I think is highly complementary to that, that vision. And Leah, the, the, last, the last word goes to you. Yeah, well, my advice would be make sure you understand the terms and make sense of anything that people were talking with agile devops and uh, cloud native and all of that before you make any changes uh, understand what would work well for your company culture and start from the culture uh, understanding uh, what you can adopt and readily what you need to adapt before you adopt it uh, and then make sure you have people who can work with your engineers to create the business cases so that you can incrementally transform everything but start small experiment and then do everything properly That's it, folks. Can I say a big thank you to our panellists, Erica Lange, Andrew Davidson and Detalina Vasileva. I'm sure you'll agree that they brought some really interesting perspectives there. Thanks as well to James for steering the conversation. You can read a lot more about the tech trends which are set to dominate this year in the latest issue of the Digital Bulletin magazine, which is available over on digitalbulletin.com. We're grateful for you tuning in, listener, and we hope you will join us again next time. Until then, goodbye. That was the Digital Bulletin Podcast. Listen and subscribe to a range of podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. 
plugin for news, features and case studies on the very latest in enterprise technology and digital transformation.